How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Wilson. I'm Crossman. And I'm Charles. Uh, this is a podcast where we discuss movies that we have not seen before. Uh, we come to admit films that are holes in our filmography that we have perhaps been dishonest about having seen in the past in order to appear more cultured, more informed, um, and more well-watched. This week, we watched Elphaville by Jean-Luc mm-hmm. Godard of the USS Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, it was your pick. Uh, tell us about Elphaville. Okay, so Alphaville is a noir sci-fi film about a detective, a secret agent named Lemmy Caution, who goes into this town or city named Alphaville. And um, in the city, a sentient supercomputer AI has taken control of everything (coughs) and has essentially outlawed emotion in favor of cold logic. Uh, And it's, you know, being very 1984, it's like, erasing words out of the dictionary and executing people for um, showing emotion or being illogical. Um, And Caution's goal is to eliminate um, the man who built Alpha 60, uh, which is the supercomputer, and uh, destroy uh, the computer. Um, So he basically goes and does that. He like, he, he investigates around, uh, he gets some information about the whereabouts of um, Von Braun, the scientist who uh, created uh, the computer. Uh, he meets with um, the scientist's daughter um, and they interact a bunch and fall in love. Um, but eventually he gets face to face with the scientist and shoots him. He uh, gets face to face with the computer a few times um, and uh, he manages to give the computer a very fancy logical <laughs> riddle, essentially, that makes the computer bug out and uh, everyone in the town kind of freaks out because they're no, no longer under control of this computer. Um, and then uh, him and the scientist's daughter kind of drive off into the sunset. Yeah, that's, that's the bulk of it. Um, Crossman, you, I, I saw this for the first time on your recommendation relatively recently, mm-hmm. just a couple years ago. That must have been why it was on my list, because you'd yeah. mentioned it, it sounded interesting. Yeah, it was, and I've seen a reasonable chunk of New Wave stuff, but not this one until you recommended it. So this was my second viewing. Uh, when did you first see this one? Uh, like, at least six, seven years ago. Okay. Probably longer, actually. Yeah, that's a, that's a good while. Um, I had came through it via... Just like reading about older sci-fi films, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and found it that way. I didn't know much about it before I watched it, and was kind of impressed by it when I saw it. it just um, that it was such an odd movie, but there was a lot of like cool stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's arresting. Um, yeah, right. it's a- um, that there's like interesting action elements with it like it's very violent at Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. in ways that feel very modern and uh i think the mystery of what's happening i think unravels Mm -hmm. very nicely and yeah i i think actually watching rewatching yesterday I, i think i felt a stronger connection to it now than maybe i the first time i saw it the first time i saw it i just thought it was like very cool Mm-hmm. Um, but watching it again yesterday, I was like, oh, this has saying a lot more about like fascism mm-hmm. and specifically Nazis. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, I also remember being very struck by the uh, computer's voice and what a, like a cool effect 
Yeah, well, it was, even it, though it's very basic. Yeah, because it's just a guy that had throat cancer and has to use one of those larynx machines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. figured. So but it's like, like a cool sound. Yeah, talk about arresting, right? Like, yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, it sounds so out of place with what else was happening. It's very unnerving. Days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's just saying a bunch of weird shit, and then we're all hearing it in a foreign language. Yeah. Because uh, this is you know, a French movie. Yeah. Um, did you all like it? I like this movie a lot. Yeah, no, I did like it. What did you think yeah. about it, Charles? Uh, I I struggled with this one. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, um, so like, let's see. The, it's a fucking weird movie. Yeah, so yeah. like, the way the the events and the plot are organized doesn't feel like it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, so it kind of left me off kilter the whole time <clears throat> trying to figure out what's going on, uh, where in the plot we are, um, what the detective is currently trying to do. Uh, what's going on in the world, all of that, like, I was trying to figure it out, and, um, you know, I had a hard time because it felt like the movie was maybe a little disorganized in that respect. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that is a common reaction and not at all an unfair reaction. Yeah, and uh, obviously it it didn't help that it's in a foreign language, and so I'm, like, trying to figure out what's going on. I'm trying to read the, like, very poetic language and uh, (laughs) trying to decipher what they're trying to tell with it, what it's supposed to mean in the context of the movie, mm-hmm. and um, you know, trying to appreciate the imagery. All this together, it led to overall a very confusing experience. Yeah, well, it, it, and it's full of references to both like other French New Wave movies and like pop culture icons of the 60s that may be not have made the journey to 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, there's a lot of things yeah. here. I've got none of that content. Yeah, yeah of course in, not. So. Right. <clears throat> and... It, you had not seen any Godard no. or French New Wave before. What, what other Godard have you seen, Crossman? Uh, <clears throat> if any. I'm not sure. Because this, um, this, to me, like, I've seen a handful of his movies and a handful of other, of his contemporaries, and, like, this feels like a tough entry point <laughs> for <yeah>. Godard. <laughs> I liked it for the concept, but I felt a little disappointed at how the sci-fi-ness of it is executed, since it's more conceptual than visual. Yeah. Um, the, the most sci-fi they get with the imagery is using architecture that at the time was considered very new and modern mm-hmm. but to us feels very normal or even pedestrian yeah because i think part of Godard's critique here is architectural i think mm-hmm. part of what he's doing is saying like this new architecture is unfeeling and unhuman and mm-hmm. distances us from the spaces that we live in um which is I mean, because this was all just shot in paris like most of his yeah. movies um, he had no money to make this. Like this, this yeah. was him in the middle of making. I think it was nine features in the space of six years, which uh-huh. is wow. wild. Yeah. <laughs> like he, could, like wow. he just made movies back to back to back to back, mm-hmm. um, and this was one of those. Um, so I think that that's part of it too. But uh, yeah, I I think that I I don't think that Godard's intent here was to have modern buildings that look futuristic in order to depict futurism. I think he was critiquing the buildings that were being built in Paris at that time. Okay. Because um, like, apparently one of the ones that he shot in a lot of the time, I think it was the hotel there, um, was just like some office building in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> and like it, like the electric company, like the Con Edison equivalent, worked there. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 my understanding based on what, I've, what else I've seen of Godard and my reading on this film is that he didn't like that, <laughs> that he thought mm-hmm. this was bad and, and that, was, that tied into his critique of um, logic and, and scientism and like bringing modernism to its logical conclusion. Um, so yeah, but uh, Godard is famous for A, working a lot, um, 
be not using scripts. Mm-hmm. Like this movie basically didn't have a script. Um, mm-hmm. the, there were backers in Germany that, that were like helping to fund this that like insisted on seeing a script. So we had Godard had like his assistant director, a production assistant, um, read one of the books that this Lenny Caution guy is drawn from, had him write a script based on that. Okay. Sent that to the backers in Germany unread and then just shot the movie that he wanted to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. And like that's how this movie got wow. funded. Um, so, and so like a lot of this is improvised. Okay. A lot of Godard movies are really about him like finding space in his films to just pontificate about like how he feels about art and movies, mm-hmm. which is here. Like that happens in this movie. The movie kind of opens with that. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like and, and he's not shy about that. He's not shy about like treating movies as essays. Uh-huh. And like I think that there's some of that in this one as well. Yeah, the and particularly at the beginning, like it's not a very friendly movie um, where things just kind of happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the beginning of the movie is feels very random. And actually, yeah. I think it coalesces later in the film into yes. more of like a film. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the beginning is just like it was. When suddenly there's a guy in the bathroom like shooting at the that main was character. so confusing, <laughs> yeah. and then the the woman that's in the room isn't reacting to it. Yeah, yeah. it's like well, weird things happen in Alphaville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rewatching that, I was like, I don't, I don't think Charles is gonna like the beginning of this. Film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are right. Yeah, yeah. You, you figure that one out. Um, yeah. I, I did like it though. I appreciate I appreciate the Frenchness of Godard and like what he does here. I like that it's. Mm-hmm. I, I like that he gives the audience credit. I feel mm-hmm. like he's saying like, yeah, you you guys will tough it out. Like you guys will get on board with this one, um, and I, I like. I think he does that, and it's it's kind of a take it or leave it attitude. Okay. Um, and just the the fact of his the the quantity of his output, I think, speaks to that. It's like you don't like this one. Well, there, there's going to be another <laughs> one in six months. <laughs> like, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> um, and I think that. I, I like that about what he's doing here. To me, it, it speaks to just like an enthusiasm for filmmaking mm-hmm. that um, he just got a lot of ideas. I guess he he does, or he li- really likes expressing the handful of ideas he does have. Sure, <laughs> which is fine too. Sure. Um, so yeah, I I, um, I I enjoyed it. I did like the Frenchness is also that our two male and female leads like don't seem to like each other throughout the movie, but at the end of the movie, they fall in love. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That exactly. didn't seem to make much sense to No, me. not at all. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, yeah. every French film ends that way, or just, like, the, the couple, like, gets together at the end for, okay. well, for it, like, no it, reason. Actually, I felt this was a little bit of a departure from a lot of other new wave, because what a lot of times happens at the end of these movies is one or both of them ends up dying. Hmm. Um, like, yeah. That's how. <laughs> this is also a departure from noir in that way, too. Yeah, yeah. Where it's, yeah. like, our main character is usually doomed yeah i mean mm-hmm. to, be, to be honest like this movie is far more optimistic than a lot <laughs> of what we see out of this era and this region right like it ends happy yeah. they like they they triumph and they yeah they, they the destroy the machine they kill the evil doctor guy she discovers what love is she discovers what like morality is and they leave together having both survived this awful ordeal right yeah. like that is not how these usually play out like yeah. that's that is atypical um, so I, I found that to be an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it, it ends on Anna Karina, like, learning what I love you means. Right? <laughs> that's the last yeah. line. But the, that's, like, a very French thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is that, like, it's all about love and feeling and all that kind yeah. of thing. But it's also, but it's so often, and you see this in, like, uh, like certainly in Breathless, but you see it in 400 Blows to a certain extent, like, that there's, like, a depressive or, like, uh, a 
unwinnable quality to the end of these movies, right? Mm -hmm. um, and only rarely um, do we see it cut a cut a different way. Right? Yeah. Like I was kind of reminded of, um, I know you guys haven't seen this, but Cleo from 9 to 5, uh, uh, or 5 to 7 rather, um, it is like the day in the life of this girl who thinks that she has cancer. And mm -hmm. it's about like her like trying to come to terms with that and like waiting for test results and she's like dealing with her morality and it, you get to, she finally gets to the point where like her doctor's going to tell her the results and the doctor's like yeah you have cancer but it's pretty treatable and I think you're going to be okay it'll just be kind of hard. And <laughs> <laughs> like that's he's like oh all right and like that's basically how the movie ends and I feel like this one is kind of like that it's like. They get to the, they like destroy the evil machine, they, they beat the doctor, and they get to mm -hmm. the end of it, and it's like, yeah, this was really hard, but like, you got something out of it at the end, and like, striving yeah. for this great thing and this beautiful thing is worth it. Right? Yeah. Like, it's worthwhile. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed that about the movie here. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about like the, the setting and the architecture, but like, it, it, Godard and New Wave in general is very famous. And what I like uh, probably most about these 60 New Wave movies is their depiction of Paris in the 60s. Uh -huh. Right, and this one's a little bit different because it's not supposed to be Paris. Um, yeah. But what do we think about that? Like how this, like the mood that's created by the setting and like by where this movie is situated. It felt like it had a very dreamlike quality to yeah, it because, like, it it feels like they just kind of drift from place to place, right? And it's not always entirely clear how they got there from from where they started. Yeah. There's a few scenes where they're driving around, but otherwise, like, they're just kind of, like, at places, I mm -hmm. guess. Uh, and you don't really see the outside to really frame the settings too much. Yeah, it's always at night, one thing. Right. Yeah. And, like, obviously it's on purpose, but, like, it's unidentifiable as Paris. Yes. So, like, it's got a very different vibe there. They're trying to depict it as a different city, right? Right. Well, and I, I think that kind of feeds back into that architectural critique. Yeah. Right? And that, like the buildings that are being built in Paris, and the, like the modern buildings that are being built in Paris in the 60s are rendering Paris un-Paris-like, yeah. right? Such that it is, uh, it, it ceases to be identifiable as mm -hmm. really the most identifiable city in the world in, in yeah. a lot of respects. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it... Some of it felt cool just because it's like it's at night and yeah. like everybody's like dressed very well. Like and noir like, stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then other times it feels like very disturbing like the way that he's interrogated and like when he goes to the pool and like witnesses all the executions it's yeah. like mm -hmm. what a scene yeah <laughs> that's like one of the most arresting scenes in, in the movie yeah and very disturbing yeah definitely um just because the way it's so the executions are like so intricate yeah set us up for that one like what, what's going on there? yeah he just he's looking to meet with the doctor and he like arrives at this place like a gym or something yeah and yeah. there's a pool and then it turns out they're they're doing like public executions, and so people will be placed on the diving board and then shot at. And then when they jump into the water, a, like a diving team like jumps in, of women like jump in, swim after the people, and then stab them to death. Yes, with knives. <laughs> they had knives. I did not see that. Yeah, I thought they were like retrieving the dead body. No, well, they know. swim. They have. They'd already been shot by that point. So. Yeah, but they pretty vis pretty visibly have knives, yes. and they yeah. swim towards yeah. the people and then stab and them. Yes, just to like make sure they're dead. And they um, are. Yeah. Well, okay. Why are they being shot though? Uh, for expressing, well, as far as I can tell, it's for expressing emotion or acting illogically. Yes. According <laughs> to so, like the example the that that yeah. our our lead Lenny Caution uh, gets from a bystander is that like one of the guys that was. Being executed, uh, cried when his wife died. Yeah, like that was a. 
Yeah. A, a crime worthy of capital punishment. And and one of the guys kind of <clears throat> shouts out to like try and wake everybody up and right. He's shot and, and that's that. stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. That scene is or set piece even is one of the more um, disturbing in the movie. Yeah. That I think that was the ones I like connected with a lot more this time around where mm-hmm. it was like we have the like sort of facts don't care about your feelings yeah. crowd <laughs> and I think this is like a logical extension of that where if you just like have some emotion or action like outside the norm then you're executed and yeah, yeah. I think that's or, or, it's like very connected to yeah or this like devaluing of emotion like that if some if, if a decision is arrived at by emotional means it becomes illegitimate yeah. Right. And I think that that you do see a lot on the right. Right. Yeah. And I think that you, mm-hmm. you do see that within within fascism, which is ironic because, of course, they arrive at every decision emotionally. Mm-hmm. It's just that that emotion has like fear and anger. <laughs> like those are the only the only legitimate expressions yeah. uh, for for humanity um, or like, you know, fealty. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that you're you're right that this does ring differently today. But, yeah. Um, versus when I watched it, like seven or eight years ago right yeah. right and, and versus you know 1965 or two or whenever it was this came out um yeah that would be different too like right in the, the heart of the cold war i mean i appreciate the context of it that you guys have just discussed but i did feel like the strangeness or contriveness of the scene kind of undercut the impact of it for me because i was okay. too busy being like this is really bizarre but i don't know why it has to be it's just they're trying to be quirky <coughs> or something right it's like why it's like it'd be more affecting if if it were more i don't know like it's just weird to have the female swimmers go out yeah. right like it's just a strange choice and i'm not sure how much it really adds to the scene besides it being strange well i, I think that there's an element of like ritual to it or mm-hmm. uh like a technocratic solution mm-hmm. in that like it's overly complicated and it's a solution that like a computer might come up with that we need to shoot someone in a pool and then have like a dive to and swim after them and stab them just to be sure. It's like there's like that overly just seems complicated. Man, you think a computer would be more about efficiency? Well, uh, yeah. I think that it's a it's speaking to like the failure of that logic, right? Because sure. what what do you have here is he the computer. You can imagine a computer saying like, okay, here are three things that are fatal to humans, right? Being shot, drowning, and being stabbed. Let's sure. combine all of them in one thing, okay. and this is what you end up with, right? right. And and I, I like that about it, that it's like, okay, here's like several, you take several totally reasonable premises, and you end up at this totally unreasonable place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is appealing about the film. I, uh, the other thing I think that we want to remember here is that Godard and all these New Wave guys um, got their start watching American B-pictures, mm-hmm. right? So they, they were watching, like cheaply made sci-fi movies they were watching the noir movies like that this actor and character were in mm-hmm. right and they're riffing on that stuff like that's mm-hmm. a lot of what these movies are and that's why he can make nine of them in six years is that he's he can kind of lift ideas that he saw in in hollywood pictures in the the 40s and 50s and like put his weird little spin on them right and i think mm-hmm. that's a little bit of what's going on here right like okay. you see he sees um something that looks a little bit peculiar in a science fiction movie places in the context of this noir film that he's making and all yeah. of a sudden it's like totally out of left field mm-hmm. uh, and, and i think that that's part of what we're seeing here and, and part yeah. of what godard's goals are um in this picture okay yeah does that make sense 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right, good. And, well, I think also, I mean, clearly what he's dealing with is like the sort of aftermath of World War II, where all these German scientists and, and companies that had assisted the Nazi party were just like put right back into culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like no questions. I mean, the scientist asked. is named von Braun. Von Braun, and, and they not a mistake this. at all. Yeah. yeah, and they reference um, Max Planck too. Yes, there's another scientist. That yeah, well, and his his daughter is named Natasha, right? Yeah. So you have like this very Russian name and this name associated with one of the more destructive Nazis out there, and he mm-hmm. combines the two of them. It's mm-hmm. like you know, kind of this pox on both your houses. And he directly Nazis. says that it's like I, he references IBM as yeah. well, and yeah. I, IBM is known to have, like, assisted the Nazi, or, like, built counting machines for the Nazi party. Yeah, yeah he wanted to call um, this movie Tarzan versus IBM. I'm not making that up. He did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> I'm not sure what to think about that. But, um, yeah, you got, give it to the French to be just, like, a little bit racist, like, yeah, every yeah. time. <clears throat> there, um, is, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting premise to start from, where it's, like, Hey, all these like still living Nazis were just like allowed to like to do their thing, yep. and then if <clears throat> if we're to sort of like roll the clock forward, here's the like outcome of, of that. Right, exactly. So it's um, society. Yeah, and yeah. that's like a very interesting statement in 1965, I think, when this is made. Yeah, because um, I feel like that's a decision that we're still dealing with to this day where yeah. like or or one that we're gonna have to deal with in the next 10 or 15 years yeah yeah right we're, like, not, we're not done yet i mean <clears throat> alpha 60 is still like sitting there in the horizon yeah exactly so like we're, we're gonna have trump administration officials that are gonna be saying oh no no i was i wasn't in on it whether or not trump is impeached like we're gonna end up with that yeah um, and how we respond to that is important and i unfortunately Predictable. <laughs> I think and we know where that's going. A lot of the, like the early CIA people were these like Nazis who yeah. they just were like, "All right, you're cool now. Let's start this like this organization called the CIA, <laughs> <laughs> so we can fight communism together." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we're still we're still dealing with that. Like it's still a, a right wing organization. That yeah, but yeah, I think reading this as yeah. a <clears throat> As Goddard is saying a lot of things here, right? Like he's remixing mm-hmm. genre. He's pointing to the value of, I think, B pictures that were often disregarded that the KRD cinema guys really had to bring to the forefront. Um, he's critiquing fascism. He's critiquing architecture. Like it's hard to get. He's talking about like how you know movies are the most important thing because that's what all of his movies are about. And I think he packs a lot into this space into this you know ninety minutes or however long this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about Anna Karina, who's a mainstay in these mm. French New Wave movies. She shows up in a lot of them. She was married to Godard at the time this movie was made. Yeah. Um, she, that's the Natasha Van Braun female lead in this movie. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Yeah. Um, so uh, Anna Karina, for my money, is just one of the most, we've said the word a few times now, but just arresting. Like, you cannot ignore her when she's on the screen in any movie. Um, and I think she's consistently great. Um, how do we feel about her here? I think her character is weird. She's and, weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's like a hard role to pull off. Mm-hmm. So I think she's she's doing a lot. Well, and knowing that like it wasn't really scripted, mm-hmm. 
like I think she's doing a lot here that kind of like saves the, the yeah film. yeah yeah well, she, <laughs> she brings so much Frenchness yeah to the movie right she like there's this like cold distance to her character and to her person I think mm-hmm. that she just kind of comes across as a little bit cooler than thou all the time um, and I but also like uh, almost this like wisdom and vulnerability to it as well and and she does this with just like being present in the movie <clears throat> and I think that part of that is is here and I think we again see it in other uh, Karina movies um, but I, I every time she's on the screen I, I like her a lot I, yeah yeah it, it was funny to see her at the end of the film or towards the end of the film she's like being arrested and brought in through through the investigation building yeah and cautions like leaving and like sees her getting arrested mm-hmm. and he's like I'll be back and just like <laughs> doesn't do anything to like try and help her and just mm-hmm. like leaves and then we have like a series of scenes and then he does come back and save her and then they're in love and it was like wait you <laughs> you like just kind of like threw her to the wolves yeah, he knew and, it would, and you like know, bothered to like come back and like knew it would save her or something. I guess, yeah, yeah. Where it seems like in the moment you're like, oh, he's gonna save her, and he's just like sneaks out the lobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah he was, stops and considers it for a second. He does, yeah, yeah. It, though I found that kind of comical. Yeah, I like. I mean, yeah. that Eddie Constantine had evidently played this role several times. I was never allowed to play it again after this movie, yeah. um, and I think that he kind of has figured it out now, right? Like that he's this. Like diet Philip Marlowe character, and like that that, that works pretty well. Uh, what do you think of Karina, uh, Charles? Um, I don't think she just. I don't think her character left that much of an impression on no? me. Like okay. I wasn't always sure why she was there, other than to just like, I don't know, charm the hero. Well, he, he like needs to have someone to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> so like. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess she's like someone who's indoctrinated in the society. Mm-hmm. That he can like kind of teach the value of the outside world to, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I I, I think I, I just find her to have like this almost like a mysticism to her, mm-hmm. right? Like there that she she is a presence, and part of that is that she's so strongly associated. It's like her and Gene Seberg are just like so strongly associated with French New Wave that like you see her on screen and it kind of evokes something by association. Yeah, um, and I think that that might be part of it, but. I, I really liked her. I thought that I thought that she she did the thing that she's supposed to do. Yeah, I, I think she's she's good and she's very like almost like staccato with like how she like says her lines. Mm-hmm. Like they're small yes. lines and she just like delivers them and that's like yep. the way that her character is it's so robotic and she does a good job of like kind of portraying that. Yeah. And then as she like pulls out of it, it yeah, it, the, it's the way it's, that she says things like changes. It's robotic and like yeah. confident. Yeah. Right. Like the, like the way she delivers it's, them. It's just like facts. Like, yeah. It's like this is how this world. Is, yeah. He's right? like, is this your father? And she's like, I I've never met my father. Yeah. And it's just like moving on. Technically, sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and like that, I think is typical of of her type of performances, right? And I think yeah. you see that in like Band Apart and mm-hmm. uh, Woman's a Woman and et cetera, et cetera. Um, There's. Um, Late in the film, there's suddenly like a great like action sequence where he like sh- he's being interrogated. He like shoots it out of the building. And then, like, <laughs> yeah, that's when he sees her like being pulled into the building, and then there's like a car chase that mm-hmm. ensues on like a wet road. Yeah, I, I was like, wow, this is like much better shot than I remember. Like mm-hmm. all those action scenes, I was like, this is like pretty cool all of a sudden. 
This movie yeah. has a very interesting take on violence because it often happens very briefly. Yes. And it, it feels like the scenes are abbreviated practically, right? They have yeah. a few quick cuts, then a guy's covered in blood, and then it cuts back and all the enemies are dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, they did that was like a whole shootout times. scene in the hallway. Yeah, or like the um, sequence in the elevator, like when he's getting beaten up in the elevator, it's like all yeah. the beating up is taken off taking place like just out of frame <laughs> and he just like kind of bounces back and forth that was across the frame. comical. Yes, it, it was. It felt like a Jim Carrey sort of yeah. shot. And there's yeah. another one where he like takes this guy's car and they like, it's almost like they're practicing the scene and not like showing the scene because mm. they like, they show him like wrapping his arms around the guy like to put him in a headlock but then they like it's like oh, yeah. relax, and he's just like putting his arms <laughs> around the guy. It reminded me of how it kind of reminded me of how they did the sex scenes in my private Idaho. I guess it just sure. going for like a more abstract way of doing that scene yeah. where they they show them kind of in freeze frame, but like you can tell that they're not actually freeze framed and they're actually just holding the pose. That's yes. kind of how it looked. Yes, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like I think part of that is a choice. I think part of it is dialectical, like that they're yeah. they just don't have the resources to shoot this more than once. Um, and like a lot of times with these uh, like middle era and early era French New Wave movies, they would have like no license to be shooting where they're shooting. Like they would just like oh, yeah. show up somewhere with a camera and a bunch of actors and be like, all right, quick, do it. Yeah. And like that would be the movie. Um, and I think that like there's a kind of like a ramshackle quality to some of what's going on here. That's right? kind of how I felt. I yeah. noticed a lot of scenes really, it felt like a middle schooler's home video project, right? <laughs> There's something about the way that the camera moves that feels very homemade, mm -hmm. along with the way that the sound echoes off the walls. You can tell that they're not dubbing the audio, it's just whatever audio they recorded on site. Yeah. And it feels very cheap. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was. It, is, it yeah, was literally cheap in that they didn't spend much money on it. Yeah, and like, I mean, I wasn't a fan of that. And all of that. Yeah, and, and like that, I, I think that that tends to work better when the movie is actually set in 1960s Paris, mm -hmm. right? Because when, you, when you're watching Breathless, for instance, and you hear a car honking or you, like, have conversation from somebody walking by the actors or whatever, like, it, it makes the movie feel real because this is where the movie's happening and, like, what they're shooting is what was actually happening mm -hmm. during the time the movie was set. That's a, that's tougher to pull off <laughs> when it's supposed to be set in a different galaxy. Um, sure, that's a, yeah. That's tough to swing. So I hear your critique. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's fair. Speaking of like uh, film location licensing, yeah. have you heard the story about, um, I think it's about Pink Flamingos, the John Waters film. I've not heard the story. So they like, um, John Waters famously works with uh, Divine, who's a... Um, drag queen? Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah full on <laughs> uh, drag queen. And she's great in like all of all these films. Um, so they're, they were setting up a shot somewhere in Baltimore because he shoots mm -hmm. all these films in Baltimore. And then... The police like show up and they start like arresting the crew and the scene was supposed to be like they're shooting in like some field or something and then Divine's supposed to like show up in a car or park and then like come into the scene mm -hmm. and so they're all getting arrested and John Waters sees Divine like drive up in a car and then just like accelerate and drive <laughs> off because <laughs> they're like all getting arrested oh god yeah <laughs> but she's good. in this like pink Cadillac <laughs> like you could not well, stand out more in Baltimore than that yeah that's very funny yeah <laughs> so yeah I'm sure stuff like that probably did happen when they were making yeah. these movies like that that feels authentic to me. Yeah. Um, how do we feel about like there, there's like a sequence 
that's pretty hard to follow in the middle of this movie where the Anna Karina character and other like extras are like seem to be taking some sort of test or something and there's like a long um, like monologue from the Alpha 60 computer about mm. how about like the value of logic and science over emotion and how reason should triumph over everything uh, which to me felt like <clears throat> it, Godard doing his essay thing and like sure. it's like here here is pontificating um how do we feel about that type of sequence? I, I mean, I tuned out a bit during yeah. that middle part. I was like, all right, I'm going to like check my messages. <laughs> yeah. Like way. a lot of yeah. what Alpha 60 says, Alpha 60 is narrating throughout the movie, right? Yeah. A lot of it is like kind of very ironically poetic mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but a lot of it, it's like cryptic to the point where I'm trying to figure out what it's supposed to mean. Uh, and... Like I mentioned before, it's one of the things that kind of distracted me from what was going on in the movie. And, and the way Alpha 60's voice is, it just sounds like it's kind of like barking at you. Because mm-hmm. like it's in French, so unless you speak French, you won't hear it anyways. But then it's even more cryptic because it's so uh, digitized, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it's, it's an interesting effect, but it's like hard to focus on. It yeah. seems like yeah. something that you could appreciate more having seen the movie multiple times mm-hmm. um because then like you know you can just focus on those lines really remember what they're trying to say and like you know analyze them as if they were poetry or an essay yeah i, I mean, think they're actually direct quotes from the actual are. poetry so yeah which is ironic yeah because like the thing that the the alpha 60 computer cannot understand at the midpoint and end point of the movies that leads to its destruction is like humanity and art and poetry but here he is you're right like quoting poetry for large sections of the movie um and like like godard's a smart guy like he knows that he's doing that um and i i I wonder what to do or what you guys think about what to do with that right because that that is a lot of what that middle section is it's him just like reciting uh, a lot of poetry it feels more like lectures about the meaning of life or the nature of life and so it's like the computer trying to seem um like an all-knowing entity and is trying to teach humanity of its of its views of reality Mm -hmm. um that's how i interpreted what what those lines were so even if they are a little poetic it still fits with the computer's mission yeah yeah i think i've read because i the, the the movie opens with the computer talking about how like Something about how, like, you need images for reality or something like that. Um, which is, like, obviously about movies, right? Like, <laughs> that's just Godard saying movies are the most important thing. Um, and I think a little bit of what's going on when he has th- this computer just reciting poetry at us, which is what the sensation is. It, it, he's talking about the studio system, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's about, like, you can input art into this system. You can input good art into this system, and it will misunderstand and destroy it. Mm-hmm. Right, like it will, it will give you something that is unartistic from the art, from the beautiful. It will give you something not beautiful and something mm-hmm. unartistic. Um, and I think that that's his, it, like th- this guy that you know shoots on the streets of Paris for uh, on a shoestring budget that makes nine movies in six years, that like takes the discarded remnants of American films and constructs you know high art out of it. I think that's him kind of poking at and critiquing. Okay. Um, studio systems, although I'm sure there's plenty more you could get out of that sequence. I, I thought the, <clears throat> kind of watching again this time, I thought the nature of like Alpha 60 is like very prescient. Sure. Um, almost more so than like 
um, Hal. That's in the comparison. Yeah, because two thousand one comes out of here Slater, so it's like the same era in both like a view on computing, and Hal is very smart and human like, but he's like for a specific task, which mm -hmm. is to like complete the Jupiter mission. Whereas Alpha 60 is much more in like ingrained in the society where it's like measuring everything and like has the, it's the voice at his hotel and the, there's, there's just more of like a sort of ubiquitous nature to Alpha 60, mm -hmm. which feels today more realistic because like everything's mm -hmm. like being measured by computers and they're connected to everything and they're yeah. used to like m measure and almost like colonize all elements of society well, well so um, much so that when alpha 60 is eventually destroyed like people can't function anymore right they, they yeah. can't even walk down the hall anymore right? yeah like they, they, you, you remind me of how in the hotel room he's got this little mic yep. on his table stand and i mean it's exactly like our you know <clears throat> amazon Alexas and yeah yeah, Google was, Homes. Uh, yeah it made me think of that immediately yeah mm -hmm. so that that was pretty startling to to see yeah yeah because well, like it announces his visitor yeah, well, when he yeah. talks to it, it responds and things like that. And just, yeah. like, sends messages to him unprompted, which is something that happens with our phones all the time. Right? Like, yeah. Just get shit on them. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, this the, the comparisons with 1984 are pretty obvious, but that's, that's a little bit of Brave New World, right? Like, that's a little more Huxley than it is Orwell. Um, and in most ways, I think Huxley made the better predictions relative to Orwell. Um, and I think that's part of what's going on here, that, that rather than technology uh, forbidding knowledge, which does happen here, right? Like they're replacing mm -hmm. dictionaries. It, technology just like creates dependency. And I, I think that's what you're getting at here. Yeah, it kind of yeah. like is the underlying layer of everything, mm -hmm. which is like true of this moment. <laughs> right. So. Right. Like, we're at a point where. see it described that way. It's funny. We're like the internet. People are correctly advocating for the internet to be treated as a utility, mm. as, as one would treat water or electricity or heat. And on the one hand, obviously yes, right? Like you can't really function in modern, the modern economy without access to the internet. And on the other hand, there's a, another level of that where it's a little creepy, right? Yeah. That, that we've become so dependent on that that we need it the same way that we would need uh, water or food or, yeah. or heat. And I think that's that's part of what's being depicted here. Yeah, I also love seeing old, like, real technology. Mm -hmm. uh, real R-E-E-L. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, of computers. <laughs> yeah. Like, the sort of spinning hard drives at the time that were being stored on microfilm. Yeah. It was, like, cool to see. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. it's interesting how Godard chose to depict Alpha 60 on screen, right? Because, like, he... he we hadn't really established the language of like what the intelligent computer looks like mm -hmm. at this point, and like there there aren't so many visual shortcuts. It's pre hell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's even yeah even before that. Um, so it, it's interesting that like how he decides to show it as almost like this light behind a grate or something, which was yeah, it's like a it's a it's like a fan with yeah. a light behind. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little funny to me. Right, another kind of of the you know spit and shoe shine type of yeah. <laughs> production that he has there. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, I kind of, like he had a lot of options there and also like not necessarily that much cinematic language to draw on. Um, mm -hmm. So he kind of had to 
come up with something almost yeah. independent of a lot of what we would assume now. Um, and I think it worked pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, he's also being interrogated by it, and they have, like, the mics kind of, like, <clears throat> randomly moving around yeah. him, and that was kind of creepy. Yeah, it was cool, right? It worked, because, like, it, yeah. it evokes, like, the police interrogation mm-hmm. of the noir setting, but it is, like, removes the humanity from it. Yeah, so, yeah. like, there's a very unsettling quality to that. Yeah. Um, yeah and, like, it makes sense that the, the, the Alpha 60 itself is not, like, one entity, Mm-hmm. Which like fits with how the technology actually works, right? Like he goes into the mainframe where you see all the like columns <clears throat> and columns of uh, computing that is behind <laughs> this entity. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like then you can see the different microphone. You see all the the little like bits in the hotels, and then you see the the fan thing. And so like it, it's it's a pretty wide reaching entity, right? And that makes sense to how the technology works. Actually, it turns out. Right. Yeah. That's he was prescient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I only learned recently that like early machine learning papers were being written in like, like the, I think like the late forties and early fifties. Okay. And that, that like way predated my sense of like artificial intelligence. Yeah. Then, I, I was surprised to learn that. Me too. Personally, okay, um, I didn't know that either. Yeah, there was this guy who I forget his name, but he did a lot of, like a lot of research around, um, like he would. He was teaching a computer to play chess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um, he developed a software that allowed the computer to like value different decision trees based on experiences that it had had in the past, and then it would make like a more valued judgment based on like previous games that it had played. Mm-hmm. And then he had two versions of the software play against itself a, a bunch, okay. which is like a very early version of what we of what they do now mm-hmm. with yeah. with machine learning. But yeah, it was like I want to say it was like the late forties this that that's, this guy was You're like, right. That's way, way earlier than I would have yeah, thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um to the point where they're probably storing information on like punch cards or yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, don't get them out of order. Yeah. So um so it's interesting that Godard is like picking up on that. Yeah. Uh, and, at that time. Because I, I think that's before anybody's like even thinking about advanced computing, never mind, like, computing. Because, like, in the <laughs> early 60s, you just, you get, like, the the PC for the first time, and that's, like, a very niche technology. Well, And so many predictions of that era were so off-base. Yeah. Right? Like, so yeah. like, just really, really wrong about where technology was, was headed. Like, like, what do people think of computers at this point? You just have, like, the lost in space robots, right? Right. Like, I remember there was a Simpsons joke from a while ago that, that like, they were back in the... 60s or 70s or something, and they have like one of those big wall computers, like that just takes a mainframe. Yeah. yeah, and they they have like the nerdy professor character, and he's like, "We predict that within 15 years, computers will be three times as fast and eight times as large." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, no, <laughs> and like that kind of stuff. So like people were, were thinking that like size was important, yeah, and what it, what really we went in the other direction. It's like becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. Um, is where we well, advanced move. supercomputers, they're still pretty big. They still, <laughs> right. They still have, like, large room-sized, like, mainframes. Yeah, right. Days. It's just the computing power is so much more. Exactly. And then here they're saying, like, the computer you'll have in your home will be a room. And right. <laughs> like, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which, is, which is interesting. One, one thing I found strange about this movie was the, essentially the setting where... The location seems like kind of indeterminate, and the time yeah. seems kind of undefined. 
Um, so like there's weirdness about the location where they talk about the outer countries, they talk about going to other galaxies and stuff, but they don't really mention space travel. Mm -hmm. So I'm unsure if, of if they just redefine what the other countries are. They mention current day cities that exist yep. and all that. So it's like, I'm unsure if they're on earth or if they're, if they've become some sort of interstellar society or I don't know what's going on there. And temporally they mention stuff that has happened in like, like they, I think the main character says he was a Guadalcanal mm -hmm. um, veteran. Uh, so he might have been in Thin Red Line for all we know. But <laughs> right. uh, like, so like, he's not that old either. So presumably this is only a little bit. So this this might be like, you know, set in the 60s or whatever, right? right. But this is also kind of supposed to be the future. So like, what is going on? But like, the 60s is just like super cutting edge in terms of like space travel, right? Because like, land on the moon and we're like, few years we're going to be in... You know, Mars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Mars sure, and then yeah. Jupiter and... And then you know, off to other galaxies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. So uh, I think that there's just... I think that's part of like, the hopefulness of this movie where yeah. they're just like... Okay. Galaxy we'll travel. No, nope. <laughs> Like we got this moon thing down. <laughs> and galaxy no next. Yeah, no big deal. Um, okay. Uh, so I, I think that's part of it. I also like that it's not... You don't get like the little card at the beginning of the movie, and it's like, like the, the future year 1991. Yeah, <laughs> sure. 1991, the colony in the Milky Way. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, what I how and, I read. I'm sorry. Finish your And and even that was like a, a trope of filmmaking at the time. Like the very earliest mm -hmm. sci-fi films were doing that. I mean, it was literally like, called 2001. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so I'm fine that he like avoided that like trope of like. The future. Yeah. The way <laughs> I, I read the Guadalcanal thing is that he was saying there's a reasonable chance we go back to Guadalcanal and have to fight there again. That makes that, sense. Like, this is like the second or third or 15th time that we have to, we have to fight this fight. And I, I think that that might have been part of what it was getting at. Like okay. That, that the, the atemporality of this movie is intentional and in that like we... It just doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter in that like we move forward... The, the the technology move for, moves forward, but the, if the emotional and and more moral component of it doesn't move forward, it then it's a circle, right? Okay. Then we're running back on ourselves, which is what that riddle is at the end of the movie. It, yeah, he, yeah the we, one that we were discussing it right before starting recording. But he he tells Alpha sixty this riddle, and apparently the answer is humanity. Yeah, I have I, I can I was, recite it here. Yeah, I was confused by what it meant. So let's okay. Go. So here's what this is what you know beats the bad guy in this movie. <laughs> Something that never changes with the day or the night, as long as the past represents the future, towards which it will advance in a straight line, but which at the end has closed in on itself into a circle. Um, this is the you know paradoxical question or riddle or what have you that blows up Alpha 60 at the end. The answer is humanity. The suggestion being that Alpha 60 does not understand humanity and cannot understand humanity. And then mm -hmm. when it is directed to, it, it combusts. Um, and I think that's part of what, what's happening here is that this reference to things being circular is about how if all we're advancing is science, logic, reason, that we will simply be returning to the same problems because there are, there are questions and there are problems that science, logic, and reason cannot respond to. And we have to also advance uh, politically, economically, mor morally, emotionally in order to... Mm -hmm. to to end that cycle, yeah, um, and I think that's part of what the these circle themes are getting at, right? And it right. kind of again, like like that might be why we see Alpha Sixty depicted as a fan, 
right? Mm -hmm. Literally running in circles mm -hmm. <laughs> the entire movie. Um, and I, I, I think that, that that ties back to this idea. Yeah. yeah, and one thing I'm remembering now that makes a lot more sense is uh, one of the big themes that Alpha 60's kind of poetic lectures keeps mm -hmm. going back to is the fact that the present is all that exists yes. and not the past or the future mm -hmm. because, like, I mean, technically, the present is all that you perceive, right? And it's the only thing that's, like, really said, and it says some stuff about that. Um, but then this is a response to that, that, like, if you know, that the, the past and the future obviously still matter, and that if you don't consider the past and learn from it, that the future will repeat itself and, like, you know, Right, all and that. They, they both become knowable, right, if they're just constantly repeating. That, that's the, the other thing that keeps coming up in, that, in the movie is that nobody asks why you have to say because, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it's all just about, like, either-or statements or if-then statements and, and never anything more complex than that, um, which is, of course, a failure of logic and a failure mm -hmm. of, of reason. Um, so yeah, like it fits together once you yeah. <laughs> pack it all a little bit. Um, any closing thoughts on on Alphaville? I, I think it's a cool movie. I think it takes a couple of watches to for to click. Yeah, um, it's not an easy movie to get into, but I think it's cool. Yeah, I I, I like it too. I, I liked it when I first saw it on your recommendation. And I still liked it this time around. I think it's a tough first one. <laughs> for, for, uh, for French New Wave and for Godard. I think there are easier entry points than this. Um, but, it, well, like, that's... I really picked one for myself. Right, yeah, but that's fine. Like, that's fine. It's still good. I still enjoyed it. I'm just sad he didn't get his Mustang back. That is a galaxy, right? It's a, yeah, it's a galaxy. Yeah. But, I mean, we all know it's, it's a Mustang. Exactly. It was yeah. new back then. Yeah. It was a new car. Too bad for Isn't him. there an actual Ford Galaxy, though? Yeah, there is, but okay. it's a different car. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I looked it up. Okay, cool. Good Good checking. Yeah. All right. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate <clears throat> what the movie's trying to do. It's just, <clears throat> I just didn't like the way it was structured and some of the stylistic choices and maybe the low production value of yeah. it. Uh, I think it's the kind of movie that, like you said, I would appreciate with more watches, but that I don't really have any desire to keep watching. <laughs> Um, that's fair. So, that's fair. I mean, you know, yeah, you shouldn't it is. watch things you don't like. So. That's true. There's a lot of yeah. movies out there, and you'll, you'll, a lot of them you'll like. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back in a minute with Things We've Seen. Stay tuned. And we're back with Things We've Seen. This is a section where we talk about other movies or TV shows that we've seen recently outside of the context of this podcast. Uh, so, Crossman, what have you seen lately? Yeah. So, I kind of randomly watch an episode of the old Miami Vice show. Really? On, okay. Uh, it's available one? on Stars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I was like, kind of shocked at how good it was. Oh, yeah? Um, so then I went and wa started watching uh, Miami Vice, like, from episode one. Jesus. Season, season one. <laughs> okay. And I've been watching it since, and the show's awesome. Um, <laughs> this the, is not what I thought you were going to so say the, for this segment. The first episode is like a made-for-TV movie. It's it's an hour and a half long. Um, and if you're not familiar with Miami Vice, which I am now, <laughs> um, it stars Don Johnson and Philip Thomas, I think his name is, and they're uh, Sonny and Tubbs. And <laughs> um, the plot of the first episode... Sorry, Philip Michael Thomas is the uh, Tubbs actor. Plot of the first episode is um, Philip uh, Tubbs, Detective Tubbs. Uh, <laughs> he witnesses his brother, who is a police officer. He's a police officer. He witnesses his brother, police officer, 
uh, get killed by a drug dealer, and he uh, is kind of uh, is searching for this drug dealer in New York, and he like traces him through this club, and he like almost gets him, but he gets away, and uh, then we shift to Miami, and Don Johnson is a vice cop down there. He works undercover, and he's on like the drug beat in Miami, the height of like cocaine era of Miami. Um, and Don Johnson's like a cool uh, 80s guy. He dresses he sure is. very cool. He wears a white suit. <laughs> yeah, he drives a Ferrari. Um, and he's uh, on a sting with his partner, who's played by uh, Jimmy Smith. Really? Um, huh. When who, he was an infant? <laughs> who <laughs> gets killed immediately okay. by uh, uh, drug dealers and, and things go wrong. So his partner's been killed and... He needs to find out like who's responsible for it, and he's been trying to like work his way up the chain mm-hmm. to like get the drug kingpin, and um, he comes across, uh, or he he gets introduced to Tubbs, who is undercover now and acting as a drug dealer, so that he can also move up the <laughs> chain to get 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 the drug dealer. Um, kind of a departed situation. Yeah. So they. <laughs> They end up on like a deal where it turns out everybody involved was a police officer <laughs> un- very un- undercover. <laughs> um, and then they decide to, they're kind of like keep each other at a distance, but like decide to work together to like try and get this uh-huh. this drug dealer. And, and things <clears throat> sort of go from there. And that's like, the, the, there's like a, a story where they're like, they're, they get very close to like getting the drug dealer, but the drug dealer like, gets away and that's like the first episode of Miami Vice. Turn turns out um this is a Michael Mann production. The mm. show was? Yes. Oh, I thought wow. just the movie was. Yeah, so Michael Mann is the uh director of many episodes of Miami Vice, but he's also the producer mm-hmm. and uh acted, you know, like created like all the story arcs and the characters. Yeah. Right. Um they actually shot the show in Miami, so it's like very '80s cool. Um, right they really show off like uh, the Art Deco design mm-hmm. of, of the era and like the fashion of the era. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the show feels like very like real. They're not doing like um, ironically, they're not doing just like a a crime and episode kind of story where they like yeah, they like <laughs> they like crack the thing and like right. they get the guy at the end of every episode often things go, like go wrong and like huh. they're always kind of like working behind the ball and um it's it's cool it feels like a very contemporary show mm-hmm. um and the production values are insanely high like mm-hmm. they have multiple shootouts in an episode they'll have like multiple car chases in an episode where they're like like really shooting like a car chase in the episode and it's all done real because there's no like cgi and there's no cgi and tv at the time um so it's like cool that that like they're doing this and then the plots are like very dark like things Mm. are not going well like people get killed all the time like there's a very high body count for the show Mm -hmm. Um, and they deal with like very complex like scenarios where you're like unsure of like who's in the right and like I don't know, it's a very cool show. It's really really well done, and I'm I'm like shocked at how good it is. It actually feels better than like any contemporary crime show. Wow. Um, yeah, because like my 
conception of this show is that it's like a really like kind of hokey, hacky cop drama no. from the 80s that's all about just like how many drug dealers of color can we shoot? No, it's okay. It, it it does have a little bit of that where right. there's there's like not great portrayals of like <clears throat> Latino characters. Um, but it, I would say it's a very diverse show. There okay. are also like there are women on the police force that are like playing important roles in like helping them solve ah. crimes and like making very morally complex sacrifices. Um, and it's very very <laughs> well acted in most cases um and don johnson's a great actor and they have great um small roles too like edward james almost uh comes in he's playing like one of the lead characters after like the third or fourth episode and then Mm -hmm. you see out of nowhere like really famous celebrities doing very small roles so um bruce willis in like his fourth (laughs) acting role is, is playing a guy who's like stealing weapons uh, from the military and like selling them on the black market. Sure. Um, and uh, Eddie Murphy is apparently in an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the music is very cool, yeah, like very, very like eighties cool. Like there's like a just <laughs> what's um, the eighties? They'll they'll um, in the first episode. There's like a Phil Collins. Oh, like song. a licensed soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like Phil Collins, <laughs> Tina Turner. Um, like wow. tons of like great music. It's shot really really well and i'm just like shocked at how like good of a show it is um what's interesting is apparently dick wolf of uh law and order fame took the show over after the third season and that's really where he like got his start as like a a show runner i wonder Mm -hmm. if when that's when it becomes the procedural i think so okay um but michael mann was the sort of executive producer for uh, seasons one and two and it is so good. Wild. Okay. Yeah. How far are you? Okay, you um, the, ep- the seasons are very, very long. Yeah. Um, like over 20 episodes. So <laughs> yeah, I'm still in season one, but I'm like at least 12 or 14 episodes in. Okay. And I'm still like waiting for the moment where it turns and gets bad. And the show's been great. Okay. Nice. Yeah. How, How many for- seasons did it last? Um, five or six seasons. That's a while. Um, yeah. And it had a huge cultural effect at the time. Yeah. Um, I was reading about like um, like the songs that would appear on the show would like shoot up the radio charts. Uh-huh. The men's fashion changed like immediately because uh, like Don Johnson's like very like everybody in the show dresses very well, but John Johnson and Phil Michael Thomas like dress awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and, John Johnson is just a yeah. cool dude. Um, <laughs> he owns a like a cigarette boat in the show, okay. and apparently sales of that <laughs> boat like skyrocketed. Um, and then the um, the Art Deco buildings that appeared on the show, like Miami, like started to like try and conserve, like oh wow, like yeah, they so felt like, like that hotel row by the beach, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so the show had like a very strong impact on, on culture at the time, and it's it's interesting to watch it because again, like crime shows now are terrible, <laughs> and this show like the quality of it is insanely high like they must have had an enormous budget to shoot the show well i i I, I have nothing to back this up other than just having watched michael mann movies but like it seems like he knows how to spend his money he does i think that you you really see it on the screen when he has a budget and it works well in the first episode there's multiple car chases there's Mm -hmm. multiple shootouts which are like shot very well. There's a boat chase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's an awesome show. I highly recommend it. It's on Stars. 
and if anything, just watch the Maver TV movie, the first episode, right? And you'll like you'll get hooked like immediately. You're like, oh, this is the nice. coolest thing like you you can see. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I, I, have you seen the movie? The not the Maver TV movie. The, the Jamie Fox one. Yeah, the Jamie Fox one. I I haven't. I'm a little like. I've heard it's good. Unsure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm unsure about. It. I know okay. Michael Mann like did produce it as well. Yeah. Um, I think he directed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's good, and I've been meaning to see it. Yeah, I hi, highly recommend uh, Miami Vice. I just saw it. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. It's going to be corny as hell. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. This is like actually, actually good. like really good. Cool. And like the production values are just insane. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's nice. that's pretty persuasive. Yeah. Okay. All right, Charles, what did you see? Tap that. <laughs> oh, I will not be topping that, but I saw uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Whoa. Because uh, I'm a big <laughs> okay. fan of the Terminator franchise, and I just go and watch all of them because I'm curious. I heard it was decent. I mean, like, yeah, it was not same. a very good movie. Okay, then. Never I mind. won't defend <laughs> it. Um, it was just, like, very mediocre. Uh, it's not as actively horrendous as, like, Genesis was. Um, but that's because I feel like Genesis was actually taking some risks and trying to, like, do something kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like which, it which did, one was Genesis? The last one, the, right? The last one the with Amelia like, Clark, Clark. Oh, I hated that movie. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that was, so, I've never been. Right, and so my take on it <laughs> is that that one, it, it took some risks and did something novel with the plot, but it was terrible, right? And it was like offensively bad. This one took basically no risks, um, but in the end is kind of just very like, you know, middle of the line, yeah. like, you know, you give them what you want. You got some action scenes, there's some robots, um, there's some stuff about the future. Yeah. But, like, it's essentially a repackaged retelling of Terminator 2. So then it's like, Terminator 2 already exists. Why yeah. are we here, right? Um, it did some, like, sort of interesting things and doesn't really go anywhere with it. So I'll, I'll spoil a few things. Please. Because um, yeah, I don't I, think I, anyone I've cares. I've listened to other people talk about it on right, so show. The first scene... <laughs> is a bunch of de-aged CGI back to just a few years after Terminator 2. Yeah. So they have a young Linda Hamilton, um, they actually, like a body double with Eddie, young Edward Furlong's face sure. or something like that. Uh, they look just like Attitude 2. It was actually really good okay. CGI. But then young Arnold comes up as a Terminator, a different Terminator, and kills John Connor. All right. So it's like, you know, everything that Movie happened in over. 2 was erased. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the plot is that despite having prevented Skynet's existence, uh-huh. um, we discover that a different AI has taken over the future. <laughs> an, AI, an AI named Legion um, and sent a Terminator back to kill this girl from Mexico um, in this movie. All right, sure. Right. Um, and so they tackle the issue of like fate versus determination from T2 which yeah. the whole series has been grappling with and they take a very weird and i guess like semi interesting middle road where like their actions did matter and they did prevent skynet from existing but it doesn't matter because uh, we humans are going to be trying to build that kind of thing no matter what, and it's going to happen eventually. It's kind of right. like we were talking about in Alphaville with how, <laughs> yeah. how this stuff is all cyclical and all uh-huh. that, right? And so it happens anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, it just has a less cool name this time. <laughs> um, and um, they start out in Mexico and have to get back into America, and so there's some clear, like, 
references to illegal immigration and that sort of stuff because they have to perform like an illegal border crossing they get caught by the cops mm -hmm. and get put into like a border control border patrol jail it's topical right um but i don't think they really do anything with that besides just having it in the film <laughs> like they have the evil terminator um like you know pretend to be a border control agents yeah, and yeah. all that but like i mean he th he then ends up killing all the border control people um to try to kill the main characters i don't know so it's not all bad sure yeah, yeah. maybe not <laughs> right i mean um like there's the line where where they're like you know if you try to put 100 cops between you and the terminator you end up with 100 dead cops like, <laughs> <laughs> which i thought Keep was talking. kind of funny right but so they they have that um and they don't really do anything with it um let me the, see, where else did they try to... Yeah, like the, the effects of the new Terminator guy did look pretty cool in the trailers. They're like, kind of cool, yeah. Uh, it, they're like more intricate, more detailed than they were in T2, obviously, but in some ways they still feel very CG anyway. Yeah. And so like, I don't know, it, it's not like too much of a meaningful improvement. It's interesting <laughs> that they show how he can use splitting into two bodies. Okay. And then like they show some of the disadvantages of doing that. So he forms back into one body for the mm -hmm. final battle. Uh, some of the action scenes are pretty cool. Um, there's a bit of like a feminist bent to it where initially Linda Hamilton's character assumes that they're trying to save the girl main character because mm. she's going to birth someone oh, to lead okay. the future resistance just like she did with John Connor. Um, but then in a very predictable twist, she's it's revealed girl. that she's actually the leader yeah. after all. Um, so I mean, like Isn't that's Mackenzie kind of Mackenzie Davis, like the good Terminator in this one. Yeah, so she's like actually her. not a Terminator, and she's an enhanced human, like a cyborg, like an android. Gotcha. Human. I don't know, Whatever. but like yeah. it's not meaningfully different from her being <laughs> yeah. a Terminator. I really like her in Halt and Catch Fire. So yeah, she's yeah. good. She's yeah, a good actress. Uh, I'm not sure if she did a great job in this one though. Uh, I think Linda Hamilton gives a pretty good performance. Um, she tends to. She like, she does her Sarah Connor thing, and it's pretty great. Uh, Arnold is actually very funny in this one. He mm. plays that Terminator that killed um, John Connor at the beginning of the movie, but okay. aged, you know, 20 or 30 years. Got it. Uh, and the plot is that he's found a family and started to learn what it means to be human because it had no purpose after it killed John Connor. Huh. Okay. Um, but it just, like, has some really good dry humor um, and then, like, joins them for their adventure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's got some decent action scenes, but really just watched Terminator 2. It's playing it pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think that's the best they could have hoped for. With that, pretty with much. That movie. But it's like, why are you making this? Yeah. Yeah. Terminator 2 exists. The answer is always funny. And it was better. Yeah. It, it had more actual character development, mm -hmm. right? And this one, I don't think any of the characters really learn anything except the main female character, like, gets a little tougher and accepts her role, right? right? But, like, that's the exact same thing that happened in Terminator 1. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just yeah. the worst version of those. Bummer. I, mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, James Cameron wrote this one. Did he? He's okay. one of, like, a handful of writers on it. Plagiarized himself, it sounds like. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, okay, I saw a movie, too. Yep. Um, I saw a movie called Waves. Um, oh, I heard of that. It was excellent. Um, it's directed by Trey Edward Schultz, who's the same guy that directed It Comes at Night. Came mm -hmm. out uh, in 2017, which I saw and enjoyed. Did, did you see that one? I no, I heard good things about it. I, I did see it, and it, it was good. This is a drastically different movie. It Comes at Night is basically a horror movie. This is not. This is like a family drama movie. Um, also takes place in Florida, like uh, Miami Vice, <laughs> um, in, the, in the modern day. It centers on 
um, like an upper middle class black family living in what looks like Miami or like a suburb of, of Miami. Um, the dad um, owns a construction business. There's a stepmom involved as a doctor. Um, the kids, there's a sister and a brother. They go to like a pretty upscale, fancy looking uh, high school. Um, the first half of the movie concentrates on the son character, um, who is played by Kelvin Harrison Jr., who was in Loose that I saw earlier this year. That was also very good. Um, he is a wrestler. Um, he's on the wrestling team, and that's very important to him. Um, his dad is portrayed as this kind of domineering figure who uh, like really pushes him to get good grades and get up super early to go and train and be a wrestler guy and all that stuff. About 20, 30 minutes into the movie, um, the son character learns that he has a slap tear in his shoulder. Um, mm -hmm. So he, he basically can't, it's a serious injury. He can't wrestle anymore. Um, he ignores his doctor. He suffers a serious injury. And from there, his life essentially spirals, spirals out of control. He starts abusing painkillers. He continues to exercise on his injured shoulder um, after this meet that injured it. His parents essentially or his dad like, leaves his life, basically, or at least leaves the movie at, at this point. Um, he starts abusing alcohol, and this gets to the, gets us to the midway point of the movie where like the big turning point happens, and there's this terrible thing, right? like a terrible thing happens. Um, and then the movie shifts perspectives to, and really shifts tone quite drastically to the daughter character. So this mm. is the younger sister of the lead character, um, and it deals with the aftermath of the terrible thing that the that happens to and the son does. And it, it's about the waves of the, the bad things that we do. Um, it was excellent. Um, it, it's just this really deep character. It, it feels like you're getting two movies for the price of one, but it's like this really deep character study of both of these people with excellent performances from young actors. I hadn't seen Kelvin Harris Benjamin in anything except... Um, uh, the, the Loose, which I saw earlier this year, the daughter actress, whose name is Taylor Russell, I hadn't seen in anything before, then uh, Lucas Hedges plays her um, uh, boyfriend, um, and that's like what drives the second half of this movie. Um, also a beautiful movie to look at, um, mm. re really gorgeous. It's, uh, it, it really uses like Florida sunlight well. A lot mm. of this movie happens during the day. Um, and you can, it, it seems like the sunlight, the lighting was manipulated in some way, like just to make it more intense, make it brighter. Um, but it's very effective. And it really gives this movie a very specific look. A lot of really deep, rich blues, like in the sky and the water are drawn out a lot. Really active camera, especially in the early parts of the movie, uh, to suggest, you know, being pulled along, similar to how this, uh, the, the character is pulled along by the dad throughout his life, juxtaposed with the second half of the movie where we have a much more stationary and uh, formally traditional camera, um, to, to which suggests more control and more uh, agency um, in, in the in the movement as opposed to you know being directed by something else. So it, it felt like a it was made by a, a young director, but a director that was very aware of the formal effect of what he's doing cinematically which really worked very well. Um, I, I thought it was great. I found it very mm -hmm. moving. Um, some people have critiqued it as a, a white director coming in and talking about this black family, but the fact that they're black is really a tertiary concern um, to this film. And I think it's a... I, I would be very open to listening to what others have to say and would be interested in what others okay. that are more informed than me have to say about that, but it was an interesting choice. Uh, soundtrack straight out of like 2013, um, like the Pitchfork Best Of, 
um, which you know largely works pretty well. Um, but I, I I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was one of my one of the better ones I've seen so far this year, which I feel like I'm saying every week, but it's always a good year for me um, going nice. to the movies. But uh, the the movie is called Waves. Um, it's really really good. If you have a chance to see it, go go check it out. Yeah, Grassman, it's your pick. What are we watching? Yeah, I've never seen Working Girl. Okay, let's watch let's watch Working Girl. Cool. Um, have you seen Working Girl? No. No. Okay. Wonderful. I saw it many years ago and don't remember it very well. Um, so thank you for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please share it with folks. We're on Facebook and iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud. Um, comments and likes and shares are greatly appreciated and really do make a difference. And we will be back next week with Working Girl. We'll see you then.